0: I want to just share with you today a little bit more in the Lionhearted series. I talked with you guys last week, and uh, we had Jim sharing the message last week. What an awesome, fantastic message he brought, and uh, what an opportunity to have him here with us. Let me mention, go ahead and dismiss the kids back to the back if they're interested in going. I I sometimes have been forgetting to do that, but we have our kids' classes doing their thing, and uh, you can go ahead and be dismissed. Well, the book on Audible is called In a Pit. Uh, with a lion on a snowy day. That is slide number five, and uh, there it is. It's how to survive and thrive when opportunities roar, and I'll just tell you, it's very, very well-rated. I also mentioned it's only five hours long because the truth is, is that it might be something that we really enjoy, and as you kind of... Are getting back into reading or kind of beginning to read. I know we all find a difficult time finding a little bit of time to just sit down and read, but this is one that you can get through quick, but it is definitely one that will challenge you. Last week, we talked a little bit about the big idea, and then we talked about it the week before, but the big idea from week number one is this, and this is one that I think that you ought to remember, and hopefully it'll let You know, let it kind of find its way into your heart because success is to do the best that I can with what I have where I am. Most of the time, we as Christians and we as human beings, honestly, just tend to get into this mindset of what we can and can't do. And so we just kind of stop worrying about what we can do because we're always worried too much about what we can. Can't do. And I believe that one of the things that he says in this book that is so challenging is to just simply look at success in your life and mine, success in the Christian life, by simply being a person who says, This is what success is it is doing the best that I can where I am with what I have. And so it is very important that you go ahead and remember that week one big idea and also remember the one to remember, this is that passage of scripture that we share every time we have a a teaching series we have one passage of scripture to remember and this is the one that we have from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 for we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do this is a passage of scripture that I love because it reminds us that we're not simply saved to just be sitting and you know kind of enjoying the things of God and kind of just saying, well, I've already got my salvation. I'm in a good place, and so I'm not going to worry. He says that we are Christians that are called to make a difference in the world. Jesus said that we were to be salt and light, and we can't be salt and light by just simply being so inward. And so we're created to do good works. God has actually even prepared us in advance to do those good works. We just simply have to lean on him. Now, this week I want to talk a little bit about kind of one of the most misunderstood passages of Scripture, and you heard Eric reading that, and here's what I would say. In Matthew chapter 14, as we hear the story of Peter walking on the water, you probably, I know I have, heard a number of people say, well, Peter's got a lack of faith, you know, so you got to remember that Peter's lack of faith is what the problem is in this Scripture. And I'm just going to say something real quickly. This is the difference, and this is kind of at the heart of being lion-hearted. I want to just call attention, if you can kind of, in your mind's eye, see Jesus out on the water and Peter stepping out of the boat and walking towards Jesus there on the water. Now, how many of you think that would be pretty cool? Can I, can I hear an amen, maybe hear an amen or see a hand or something? That would be pretty awesome. And he's the guy who's failing, quote unquote. But here's what I would say, in, in your mind's eye, picture Jesus in the foreground and then Peter, about midway, you guys following this? I, I'm, I'm trying to do my Hollywood director thing. I, I didn't bring my director's chair, but the Hollywood director thing where in the foreground, you see Jesus standing on the water, and then you see Peter, like, climbing out of the boat, and then you see 11 others going, ah. Now, tell me, who, who is the failure here? I'm just curious, because to me, it feels like the problem that we have is we have that That culture that's so prevalent online where whatever it is and whatever goes wrong, we could have told you that you could have done it better, right? Have y'all noticed that? Have y'all noticed everybody's got an opinion when, when something fails? Like everybody's got an opinion when something fails. They're nowhere to be found before the hand because they don't want to put themselves out there. They just like hiding in the bushes and making fun of the people that tried something. And I've just always believed with all of my heart, That part of our problem in our world is we got way too many people who want to play the critic and very few people who actually want to get out there, roll up their sleeves and try something, even if it doesn't work. Because the truth of the matter is, is that lion-hearted people aren't worried about being in the boat with the other 11. They're out there with Peter walking on the water. Now, here's what I would say. What a cool and incredible experience. And there is still lessons to learn from Peter but I don't want to lose sight of who the lion-hearted person is. There's two in this story. There's Jesus walking on the water and there's Peter who is so caught up in the amazing thing that Jesus is doing. He's like, can I do that too? Can I try that too? And the amazing thing is Jesus doesn't go, what? (laughs) I'm Jesus, you're not, stay where you are. What does he say? If you listen to what Eric said and what he read in Matthew chapter four, he says, Sure, come on out. We're going to talk and go a little deeper on that. But don't forget, this is a very misunderstood passage of Scripture because we're so quick to point out the person who tried something, succeeded half the way, and then sunk, rather than focusing on the other 11 who didn't even try to get out of the boat. Now, if you guys have caught that, can you all give me a good amen real quick? Amen? Okay, that's good enough. I'm going to keep moving. But next time I ask for a good amen... I'm gonna need something better, all right? I'm just saying, just need something better. A little bit more gusto, because if you don't, y'all know I'm gonna go, go back and start again and be like, y'all didn't get it the first time, let me start again. I'm not gonna do that. I'm teasing. So let's keep moving. Here's the deal psychologists and clinical psychologists and things like that, they tell us we were born with two fears, two fears only. We talked about this in the first week of this Lionhearted series. How many of you guys remember what the two are, or remember at least one? Somebody yell out what is one fear that we have and we're born with as a child. What is it? Fear of falling. I'm still concerned about that one, even though my toes are hanging off the edge here. All right, there's the first one. What is the other one? Fear of loud noises. That's right. So no matter who you are, no matter where you are, in, in, in first world, third world, eighth world country, you can walk up to a baby and make a loud noise and they're (laughs) going to, trust me, I have not tried this, but it is true, okay? I'm not doing this to babies in other countries or here in the United States, but also the fear of falling, you can even see that when you pick up a baby and you begin to move too quickly, they (sighs) kind of do this. So here's what I want to point out to you. If you're only born with two fears, why are we so afraid? Man, I could go on and on, and I'm not going to, but I could go on and on and make a list of things that you're afraid of, things that I'm afraid of. And by the way, I didn't say this earlier, but I wanna say this now. I'm not talking about coronavirus today. I mean, I'm gonna talk about that in a very, 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 very small way and very, very quickly pass through. I'm gonna talk about something else altogether, but I'm talking about the fears that control us that have nothing to do with a virus or a pandemic. I'm talking about things that are in here that we can't control, there is no vaccine for this, you know, if we're not careful. And so I wanna just talk a little bit about these things that control the way that we act, the things that we attempt, the way that we try to live our lives, the way that we get out of the boat or stay with the other 11. And so I wanna talk about, if we're only born with two fears, why are we so afraid? Let's go to this next slide and check this out. Half of learning is learning. The other half of learning is unlearning. How many of you guys can identify with that? I'm telling you, man, the worst thing in the world to do is learn how to do something the wrong way and then have somebody go, you gotta do it differently, here's how you do it, and you're like, huh? I mean, it'll take you three times longer because you're always kind of doing this mental battle, this mental gymnastics back and forth, and the, the right way to do it versus the old way that you learn versus not knowing how to do it at all. How many of you guys have ever missed an exit on the freeway? Let me see you. Or or here in Houston, you got cut off. Let's be honest. It ain't your fault. You know, it's somebody else's fault. It's Houston. This happens. And so you can't get over because that idiot in that one particular car, you can't get over. And so you got to go down that way. And it's only a mile down that way, but it takes not like one minute. It takes like five extra minutes. Why is that? Because every moment that you're driving... In the wrong direction, you have to finish that, turn around, and then go back in the right direction. It takes you twice as long to get back to where you were. Have you all ever noticed that? It's frustrating. If you haven't figured that out, if you haven't done the calculus on that, it's hardcore math. Uh, You probably need a math degree. Um, And trust me, I have not got one. But the truth is, is that if you've never really felt that way and kind of thought through it, You've been really frustrated. Why am I so late? I only missed one exit. Have you ever done this in your relationships? I just made one small mistake, and now I've got to unlearn and relearn and undo and all of this stuff. Have you ever done this in your finances? Don't answer this out loud. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the undoing. It's the unlearning. But do you realize this is not brand new news? This is not new. This is something that Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look in Matthew chapter 5, six different times, Jesus said, you've heard it said, or it was written, but now I tell you. As a matter of fact, look, I've got two of them on the next two slides. Here's the first one. You've heard it, no, no, two on this one slide, excuse me. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, you know, and then condense it down. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, he goes on and he says, you've already committed murder in your heart. And then another place on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 28, I didn't condense this one. You've heard it said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so you get an opportunity to see here, Jesus was trying to teach them to unlearn what you thought and learn the new ways and the new patterns you got to uninstall the old pattern and put in the new program. And for the most part, we as Christians are living in a society that's got about zero respect for a Christian worldview and a Christian mindset, in a biblical worldview and a biblical mindset. But here's what I would tell you. The mind of Christ can be downloaded. It's called the Bible. If you begin to read it, if you begin to listen to it, if you begin to soak it in and learn from it, my wife is actually doing... A, uh, a year, uh, a Bible in a year, uh, that, that's the Catholic guy that's reading those scriptures, and it's a podcast, and she downloads that, she listens to that, so she's literally going to be going through the Bible in a year in a podcast, and so if you listen to God's word and hear it, it, it begins to reprogram your mind, and it gives you clarity in the things that you need to understand. It's so important that we grasp, and unlearning is really something that we have to do. Because the truth of the matter is is that we're controlled by fears, most of which don't ever actually happen. Did you know that? I want to go to this next slide. Check this out. This is from lifehack.com. It says, how to worry less. 90% of what you fear won't happen. Think about that for just a second. 90% of what you've been concerned about, worried about, losing sleep over frustrated by and aggravated for days weeks and months is never actually even going to happen and you've lost tons of mental capacity space and actual energy to do the right thing you know kind of like catching the right exit and going in the right way instead of going two exits down turning around getting lost finally getting back on the highway and wasting all this time and energy and effort you understand you got to unlearn This fear mindset, because the truth is, is that if you constantly worry, now I'm not against planning, I'm not against making provision, I'm not against putting things away for a rainy day, I promise you I'm not. I promise you I'm not. But there are things that we can control and things that we cannot control. And if we worry constantly about things that ultimately we can't actually control, then all we've done is lose sleep, turned our hair a little bit grayer, maybe let our hair turn loose a little bit, I don't know. But the truth is, is we worry about stuff that never even actually happens. How many of you guys have experienced that? You worried about stuff that never even came to pass. So let's not worry. Let's not worry about these things nearly so much, and they're putting us in shackles. So very quickly, here's this something to learn. I knocked it down. 85% of what we fear never even happens, and of the 15% that actually does happen, people often say that it wasn't as bad as they believed it would be or that they learned a valuable lesson or lessons from the thing that actually happened how many of you have ever had that second part happen to you too something that you thought was gonna kill you may actually made you stronger right just happens some of y'all are humming Kanye right now and I know that but no I'm not going to do it. I know you are wanting. Go ahead, Pastor Rainey. Make a fool of yourself in front of everybody. No, I won't. But you know what I'm saying. That that don't kill you can only make you stronger is what I would say. This is true. All right, here's what we know. We dealt with this, didn't we? You remember I, I actually mentioned it in the things that I sent out today, this morning. I mentioned the fact that last, let's see, a few days ago, two or three days ago, we passed Hurricane Harvey's fourth anniversary. I said five last year, or last week, but it is only four. Hurricane Harvey, August 25th, 2017. This is what it looked like. That's what it looked like from space. From, from our perspective, it actually looked like this next slide, it was crazy. I don't know about you guys, Hurricane Harvey was kinda one of those things that it changed so many lives. It changed so many lives in so many ways. I, I don't know if this is true in your mind or not. I, I, just real quickly, if I told you that there were 1,200 people that lost their lives in Hurricane Harvey, how many of you would believe me? Can I see your hands? How many would believe me if I said 500 people lost their lives in Hurricane Harvey? Can I see your hands? This is an incredibly destructive storm. The actual number is hundred and three. Is that less than you thought? Be honest, is that less than you thought? I'm not trying to minimize the storm. I know that there are people in this church building today that have been affected by Hurricane Harvey, changed their, their house forever, changed their home and household. There are people that used to come to this church that moved away because Hurricane Harvey took away their home and they decided well, let's move away because we've got an opportunity in another place. Like, there's tons and tons of changes that Hurricane Harvey brought, and I'm not trying to minimize in any way, but I do think that sometimes what we do is we remember something worse than it actually was. And here's the problem. It's hard to reason with facts when you and I deal first and foremost with what? Feeling. We feel it, and so we're scared to death that something terrible might happen, and we remember it, even if it's incorrect, we remember it, and the fear and the panic sets in just as heavy as if we had actually lost a thousand Houstonians. It's not true, but that's how we remember it. The truth of the matter is, is if you go even a little deeper, there was only 65 people that lost their lives in the storm, and then about 38, the number was 103 direct and indirect deaths from Hurricane Harvey. Life-changing storm, but might not be quite as bad in the fatality department as we remember. I'm trying to take advantage of the opportunity to remind you that sometimes... Our fear is not necessarily based on fact. It's based fully and solely on feeling. So it's hard for us to overcome that. But we can if we begin more and more and more to think about the cause of Christ in our life and the way that he is changing us. Now, very quickly before we leave Hurricane Harvey, you remember I said a minute ago that 85% of the things that we fear don't even happen and then 15% actually sometimes have some positives that we did not have before. Can I show you something? This is how I remember Hurricane Harvey. Some of you remember Hurricane Harvey this way too, because this was, this, this, this place that you're sitting, every chair was gone and there were air mattresses everywhere. Now, I'm I didn't plan to do this, but I'm going to do this right here and now. All right, check this out. Look here. You guys ever notice that we got four foot by four foot squares right here? It, some of y'all are like, wow, he's interrupting my nap. Hey, pay attention here. Look, four foot by four foot squares. What we did was we taped off four squares, one, two, three, four, and we had an air mattress in every single one of them. You know how many we had before we began and opened our church as a shelter? Zero. Almost every single one of these groups that had four, we had some walkways, but there were groups of four, 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 four. I slept that night right there. <laughs> this was my bed. I looked like a homeless dude. Like, I, I literally looked like I was out in the middle of nowhere, like, just fell down and never got up. Like, that was my spot right there. We had this place packed. You know how many blankets we had when we opened the church as a shelter? None. <laughs> Not a one. One. You know how many towels we had? None, not a single one. Do you know how many air mattresses we had for the people that were out in the gym? None, not a single one. We had clothes that were literally taller than I am. Don't make a joke. It was at least six and a half foot. The length of the wall, it was clothing, it was towels, it was supplies, it was bath items, it was air mattresses, it was pillows, it was everything. And you know how much of that stuff we had when we opened the church as a shelter? Not a single thing. Within hours, we had more than we could use. We literally put a U-Haul together and shipped it out to Beaumont because we had too much stuff that had been given to us here. God is a miracle-working God, and he meets needs when we step out of the boat. And I'm here to tell you, this group, you can probably see some people that you recognize in this group, But this group is people from our community and people from our EHC community that came together and remembered this differently. As a preacher and a pastor, I remember Harvey not as the day that my identity got stolen at the gas pump because I was trying to get gas at the last minute. I remember it as the day that I stood here and I spoke to people that I didn't know who didn't know what was going on in their house. And I said to them, I don't know what's gonna happen, but you are safe and sound here, and God knows what you are going through. And as a, as a preacher and as a pastor, it was a different kind of day for me than it was for a lot of other people because it gave me an opportunity to speak to people when they were going through a really dark time. So do I look back with terrible feelings about Hurricane Harvey? Yeah, a lot but not nearly as bad as so many that had been affected so much worse. But there is a silver lining. How many of you guys remember that we had a 16-foot flatbed trailer and we went out and fed literally hundreds of people in the neighborhoods around here that didn't have food? Like, that's the church being the church in the community when it needs it. I feel differently about that. I learned something, I saw something, I experienced something that I would not have had our church group got out, not gotten out of the boat. Do you remember what you were doing, Chris Kaczynski? You were picking me up on 1464 because I couldn't get out of my neighborhood and me and you, Brendan, we jumped my back fence, we hiked across the field, we hitchhiked and Chris Kaczynski was right there. No, no we had arranged, he came and picked us up. But we just said, you know what? We need to get involved. The church is high and dry. We need to do something. So we, as a church body, got out of the boat. We came here not knowing how it all fit together. And then guess what? God fit it all together. God fit it all together. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you were here. You looked around and you are like, this is literally a miracle taking place in front of my face. Can I get an amen? I mean, some of y'all were here. You were there. You saw it. You know it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. By the way, that was when you couldn't buy food. And guess how much food we had to give away? None. And guess how much we had left over? The people that came here were calling this the Chateau Eagle Heights. I'm not kidding. They literally were. They were like, how come we came here weighing this much and we came back wearing this much? How do you gain weight in a hurricane shelter? I'm like, man, I can't tell you it's a God thing. It's true. That's not a joke. That is true. I mean, it's a joke that they made, but it is honestly how it happened. And it was all about God. It was all about God. And so when you see God working like that, even when things are hard, you can't help but say, you know what? It's an amazing thing. And just like Peter, who's walking across that water in that movie shot that I was telling you about, He's walking, and it's working, and he's walking, and it's working, and then he's walking a little further, and it's working, but then he starts to sink. I can't promise you that you'll never sink, but I can promise you that Peter lived a different experience than the 11 that stayed in the boat. And I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you're not in that group, but you were here. I get that. I understand that. This is not even close to the only people that were involved. There were... Twice that many, at least, that were still involved and that did things to be a blessing. But here's what I would say. If you stayed home and stayed dry and missed that chance, you missed something. That's all I'm saying. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You missed something. And I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that to make you feel bad because I don't know who is and who isn't involved. But I'll tell you this. When God comes knocking and the opportunity comes and you can literally get out of the boat and rest in him and let his power do the work, don't miss the chance. You might never have that chance ever again. And if you miss it, I promise you, you miss something. Man, I'm telling you, I I wasn't even planning on talking about this this long, but I'm telling you, I got chills from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet I mean, God showed up, and when he shows up, it is something amazing to see. All right, very quickly, let's go to this next quote real quickly, and this is what Mark Batterson said in The Lionhearted. He said, the goal of life is not to eliminate fear. The goal is to muster the moral courage to go out and chase lions. I love this quote. I think it's amazing because for most of us in our world, we're desperate to eliminate fear, Don't ever make me feel uncomfortable, Lord. Keep me safe and keep me comfortable. And God's like, that's not what the point is. This is the very antithesis of the one getting out of the boat and the eleven staying in it. This is exactly what he's talking about. Getting out of the boat is where it's at. Let's go on here to this big idea. The big idea is that God's word reprograms our minds, replacing fear with clarity and victory. And I'm just telling you guys, if you haven't seen a God-sized vision yet, if you haven't grasped that God can change and reprogram you from being a person controlled constantly by fear, concerns worries, doubts, if you haven't seen that God can reprogram you with clarity and provide victory to you, start reading God's word and looking at it. Start getting around God's people and listening as God has worked in the past and he will continue to work. And I love that line in that song that we just sang. And Kenya, what a great job she did. She she stepped back to the back. But as she was singing that song and I was just thinking about it, You've never failed, and you won't start now. (laughs) You're not here to fail. God is not here to fail. He's not like, I brought them this far, but they're on their own now. No, no, no. That never is the way God works. God continues to work. He never stops, never stops working. All right, so very quickly, let's say this together. I've been having you guys say the big idea out loud with me, so you all say it out loud with me, please. God's word reprograms your mind replacing fear with clarity and victory. Amen. All right, so let's keep moving. Let me, check, let, me, let me have you check this out. Check this out. Look at this next picture. Isn't that beautiful? I bet none of you have ever been. I don't think I would even knew that this was a thing. But this is called the church of the multiplication. Now, If any of you are math challenged like I am, that makes your heart kind of flutter because it's like, church, multiplication? Is algebra next? Oh my goodness, you know? Well, this is what it's about. The church of the multiplication, the five loaves and the two fish on the Sea of Galilee. Isn't it interesting that they've literally... Put it there on their floor. They call this church the place where they believe that Jesus began to break the bread, break the fish, pass it out to the five thousand. The feeding of the five thousand that just comes right before Peter and Jesus walking on the water in Matthew chapter fourteen. It's called the Church of the Multiplication. It's in Israel. If you ever get over there, you might find it interesting. But let's go to this next slide and just understand that the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberius, it's all also known in modern day. As uh, Kinneret, excuse me. It's the second lowest lake in the world. It's minus 200 meters below sea level. That's a lot. That's a lot. And so it's located in a topographical wind tunnel. It's prone to storms and sudden changes in the weather. And let's just be metaphorical here. I know none of you over the last five years or so have been dealing with any kind of storm, any kind of change in your you know, life, right? I mean, coronavirus, the, the Harvey that we just talked about, I mean, all the fallout, like the, the storms that have come and hit our lives, they, they come out of nowhere. And so we see some of these things that we can identify with, the storm that hits us from nowhere and changes everything going on. And so if you begin to look at this passage of Scripture in that vein, there's some things to learn. And I just want to talk about them very, very quickly and share them with you. Let's go to this next slide. I want to share with you Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabziel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Dude was awesome, right? That's where the book comes from. But here's what I want you to understand. I shared this, and I want to reshare it so you don't miss it. Don't miss this. Let's go to this next slide here. No one would have blamed Benaniah for not chasing the lion. Um, before I go any further, think about it. <laughs> they would have made fun of him if he wouldn't have come out of that pit with the head of the lion with him. If he would have been the one who got killed in that pit on a snowy day, they would have gone, what was he?" but he did something that he didn't have to do and because of it he was famous he was valiant and because of it God's name was praised and glorified because everybody knew Ben and I might have been a bad dude but just like David it wasn't about David being stronger than Goliath it was about God working in David stronger than Goliath you understand? It wasn't about Ben and I being bad enough to kill a lion. It was about Ben and I being so full of God's power that he wasn't even scared to go into a pit chasing a lion on a snowy day and he came out the victor. By the way, if you face lions, I mean, you're going to come out with some scratches. <laughs> Let's be honest. I don't think Ben and I came out, not a scratch on me. Every hair in place. No, I don't think that was Oh, no. I've had my glasses there the whole time. Oh, you know you're getting old when you're reading glasses are a permanent fixture on your head and you don't even know it, right? Here's the truth. The truth is, is that Ben and I didn't have to. He chose to and it changed his life, changed his destiny. Can I tell you what else I think? I don't know this for sure, but can I tell you what I think? I think it probably changed his family's life too. I bet his son's, I bet his grandsons, I bet his parents, I bet everybody in his family circle had their life changed because of one act of courage that fully put himself in God's hands, something he didn't have to do. Now let's fast forward and let's talk about Peter. Peter didn't have to get out of the boat, but he did. And this is the story that we're talking about. Let's go to this next slide very quickly. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, said, be of good cheer. It's I, don't be afraid. And notice, let's be very clear. The 11 in the boat were what? Afraid. They were afraid. Jesus doesn't say, hey, (laughs) hey, don't be afraid because nobody's afraid. He's saying, don't be afraid because everybody is afraid. Don't be afraid. Peter's like, I ain't a (laughs) scared." He says, I can do that. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he says, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I want to notice something. Let's go to this next slide. Something this next slide will say. What Jesus didn't say. What a stupid request, Peter. <laughs> Lord, if it's you, let me come to you on the water. What a stupid request you say exactly where you are. What did he say? He said one single word. What was that word? Come. So why does Jesus not say, Peter, stay where you are. Your hair is going to get messed up and really wet. Peter, you're not a great swimmer. You're a good fisherman, not a great swimmer. Stay exactly where you are. He could have because he knew what was going to happen. But what did he do? He said one word. And what was that? Come on. Come on. So here's the question that I have for you. Why? Why did Jesus say to Peter, come on. There's failure in front of you, but come on anyway. Why did he say that? Why didn't he say, what a stupid request. Nobody gets to walk on water except for one man. That's me. This is a Jesus thing, not a Peter thing. He didn't say that. He said one word. He said, come on. All right, that's two words, but you know what I'm saying. Come. And so he does, and when he begins, he is succeeding and then eventually sinks. I want to just share something else. Another thing that Jesus didn't say in Matthew chapter 14, let's go back. And so he says, come, and Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go with Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt I want to notice something else that Jesus didn't say. Let's go to this next slide very quickly. You see, Peter, that's what you get when you try to walk on water. Serves you right, kid. That wasn't what Jesus said. Can I just say something? Your children are going to fail at stuff that you know they're going to fail at. And the way that you treat them when they fail is going to go a long ways towards establishing their view of fear and their view of you. Because if every time you feel that it is your job, whether it's with friends, spouses, children, family members in an extended way, it is your job to tell them why they failed and how they failed and you could have predicted that they were going to fail, congratulations, you're with the 11. And congratulations, the people that are out walking on the water will never view you in the same vein If we feel like it's our decision, our choice, our job somehow to point out, you shouldn't have done that, and here's why. And I love how Jesus simply said, you didn't have to doubt. You were winning. You were doing it. You were doing the very thing that was impossible, and yet you were doing it through my power. You didn't have to doubt. I think for many of us, We really need to look hard at whether or not we would have said, you see, Peter, that's what you get when you try to walk on water. That's not what you're built for. There's a different way of doing that. And I think we as parents especially had better tune in or else we lose our kids' heart. Because you know what? There's no more vulnerable place than when you're out there trying to do something that you know is probably deeper than you and you know you need help and you know you need guidance and you know you need God to show up somehow some way somewhere and then you begin to sink and the person who pulls you out whoever that may be whoever reaches out and gives you that hand emotionally and pulls you back up and says i wanted you to make it that person will have your heart forever When, I got, when God does bless me with grandkids, I'm going to do my very, very best to be the kind of person that says, ah, you know what? I got you, and I'm proud of you for trying. I'm glad you didn't just simply stay in the boat. That's what Jesus didn't say. Let's go to this next slide very quickly. Okay, I'm coming up to the end, so hang with me just for a couple more minutes. So he says, come. And Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. He saw the wind was boisterous, and he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You were winning it. You were doing it. You didn't have to look around and get worried. But here is something else that we cannot miss. This is this next thing that you see in this scripture. Let's go to this next slide. Feeling overwhelmed is normal when we focus on our circumstances and lose sight of our source. If it's circumstances, you're going to feel overwhelmed. But if it's the source, you can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? And so what is he saying? saying, I am your source. I'm not a resource. I am your source. You don't get to walk on the water because you walk on the water and you know how. You get to walk on the water because I am with you. That's what is happening here. Let's not get it twisted, man. Peter's not going to come out on the Sea of Galilee the next week and go, "Man, I know how to walk on water." You know, boom, boom. You right all the way to the bottom. Why? Because God's not there. God's son is not there. But here's what's happening here. If we keep sight of our source and don't lose sight of what God is doing in the midst of the storm, even when it gets crazy in the circumstances, we can still have peace on the inside. And we can still know that even in the midst of it all, God is still at work. God is still doing things. God is still working on my behalf because he is my source, not just simply a resource. All right, very quickly, let's keep moving here and just notice this. The view of Christ changed. Let's go back one slide, if you don't mind. The view of Christ changed. Well, I may have made a mistake. The view of Christ changed, and this is what happened. When Jesus was entering into the boat, he came in, and all the disciples said, Surely and truly, you are the Son of God. I love that passage of Scripture, and this is a reminder that it tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt that the view of Christ changed, Because of him walking on the water. And can I just say something else? I believe that from this day forward, everyone else probably looked at Peter a little different too. Peter, man, you're crazy, but I tell you, you're brave. I I would not do what you do, but you do some crazy things, and God's son is always there leading you in the midst of it. And Peter, I respect it. Like, I am not glad I stayed in the boat. I wish I would have been out there. And you guys know there's there's at least one disciple that was like well i was about to get out that's what i was about to do right i was about to Mm -hmm. yep sure you were here's what we know those who were in the boat came and worshiped god saying truly you are the son of god because of what they saw and i believe they felt they thought and felt differently and here's a big question actually two of them on this next slide Let's check out this big question. In what way are you teaching fear to your children and your grandchildren, your nieces, nephews, et cetera, et cetera? And then in what area are you living as if God's power is non-existent? Because God's power is not just a spiritual power. It's the kind of power that can change finances. It's the kind of power that can change relationships. It's the kind of power that can change physical maladies and problems. It doesn't always, but it can. And here is the truth. For most of us, we're living that fear in that fear that God won't show up. I'm gonna tell you, He may and he may not. God does what God does. And I'm going to talk more next week about some very, very important things that you and I probably take for granted when it comes to knowing the character and the heart of God. And it has a lot to do with what I'm saying here. But here's what I know. For most of us as Christians, we've been doing it so long on our own without God involved that we forget that God still reserves the right to say, can I get involved? Hold on. Pause it all, it's my turn to have a say. This is what God can do anytime he wants. Can I get an amen right? God can intervene in our life. God can intervene in our relationships. God can intervene in our finances. God can intervene in our physical situations. God can intervene anytime he chooses. And for us as Christians, we better not ever lose sight of that or our God has become smaller than our circumstances. And that's a really bad place to be. All right, let's go to this next slide very quickly. I believe it's, yeah, this is one more thing. I I just kind of wanted you to see that one more time and remind you that this is truly the goal of life. Now, let's go to the I apply by, and here's how you apply it. Identify your own fear and embrace it. Well, just a little bit, anyway, all right? (laughs) I I wanted to see if you guys are paying attention. Here's the deal here's where I'm ending. And this is the time for you and i to think about something i told you i was going to talk about the COVID stuff for just a quick second don't check out on me listen to me very quickly i'm going to move to this how do we identify our fear embrace it just a little bit have you guys noticed there's a little bit of talk out there about a thing called a vaccine have you guys heard about that any any information that you've heard about a vaccine within the last 24 hours 48, I mean, 24 times in the last four hours, probably, right? It's just constant. I'm not here to talk about the vaccine, but the concept of a vaccine, do you know what the concept of a vaccine is? The concept of a vaccine is getting just a little into the system. So your system rises to the occasion to battle off a big amount that comes in a normal infestation, infection, whatever you want to call it, right? Okay, so... That's the concept of a vaccine. And we've been hearing about vaccine this and vaccine that. I'm not talking about the vaccine, but here is the truth. Listen to me, engage with me for a second. How do you get inoculated when you're a person who fears failure above all things? How do you do that? You experience just a little bit of failure and then realize that it wasn't fatal. And then the next time, you're a little less afraid, right? You guys understand what I'm saying? And when you deal with rejection, maybe rejection is your thing, and you get rejected because guess what? You're human. This is the world. This is the real world. You're going to get rejected. And when it happens, you go, you know what? (laughs) I'm good with it anyway, They can deal with it, they can't, whatever. They're gonna do what they're gonna do. I'm gonna go ahead and live my life and I've been rejected. That thing that I feared so desperately, I've now experienced just a little taste of it and it's not as bad as I thought. You guys see where I'm going with this? For most of us, what we've done is we've had a little bit of rejection or a little bit of failure. And we've blown it up so big in our minds that we never ever wanna do anything that puts us anywhere in the same zip code as fear of rejection or fear of failure ever again. And so we stay in our boats and never live the life that God enabled and called us to live. If you guys are with me, can I get an amen? Amen? And so here's the problem for most of us. We're so busy trying to avoid something It's really not going to be fatal anyway. We need to be reminded that the way to overcome fear of rejection is to be rejected a little bit, and then the next time rejected a little more, and then the next time rejected a little more. Do you realize that Walt Disney, I don't have the exact number, but I think Walt Disney was said no to something like 145 times before he was given one single yes. Y'all, y'all, have y'all heard of Walt Disney before, right? Y'all have heard of him, right? Pretty good life. Fairly successful, 140-something times told no. And he all he needed was one. How do you get to that place where that doesn't kill you? Where that doesn't kill your dream. When that doesn't kill the vision and view of what you'd hope to be. How does that happen? You experience it and you realize, I made it, I'm okay. I'm still through, I'm okay, I'm not gonna die. This is not as bad as I thought. (laughs) The truth is, is that for most of us, we're so busy running away from our fears that we will never be what God has called us to be. So can I just challenge you again? Identify that thing that you're afraid of if you're afraid of other people's opinion of you, if you're so desperate to never be rejected, if you're embarrassed in some ways about things that you have going on in your life or maybe something about your personal appearance or whatever, man, who knows? Everybody's different, everybody's got something. Identify it and embrace it just a little more and realize that the way through that fear is to deal with just a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more until you go, man, I don't even know what I was afraid of in the first place. If you've been a person who's been controlled by your fears, I would just encourage you, it's never the way God intended for you to live and it does not have to continue. It's God's power that is available for us all to make us a lot more lion-hearted than we ever have lived in the past and I encourage you to do it. Heavenly Father, as we end our time together, Lord, you've been with us, you've led us, you've directed our path. You are good, God, and you are a God who loves your children. You are the one who pulls us out when we are sinking. You are the one who immediately reaches out your hand, brings us out of the depths that are threatening us, and you are the one who saves us. And so God, may we realize and understand That if we are attempting to do things for you and for your kingdom, may it be done in your power, your strength, and may we just simply be the vessels that you use. And in the midst of it all, God, may we marvel at what you do to make our lives so full and rich and meaningful whenever you're a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray.